0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: You're listening to Setting the Pigs, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Fauci. Sabonis down the lane
0: with authority. Oh, Miles Turner, bringing that smoke. One skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes, TJ Warren is not human. The
1: Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got to setting the pace, and I think that's terrific. What's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. And joining me as he does every single week, it is Michael Fauci. Ladies and gentlemen, his favorite WWE superstar is Alberto Del Rio. And his top coaching candidate for the Pacers is Mark Jackson. Fauci, how's it going, brother?
2: I can't sit here and accept the Alberto Del Rio, all right? I have a major soft spot for some Mick Foley, some Shawn Michaels, some Stone Cold Steve Austin. That was my childhood. Uh, Mark Jackson, hey, two-time Pacer, love you, but I don't think we're going to see you you know, with the clipboard anytime soon. But uh, Alex, with all these head coaching news coming out right now, I'm getting fired up right now, and Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about uh, a few candidates we're very interested in today.
1: Yeah. So I just want to kind of like set the stage here. Obviously every single person that's listened to this podcast understands we've seen a lot of coaching firings or departures without the last couple of weeks. Right. So we are currently at seven open coaching spots. I think when the Pacers let Bjorkman go, there was only two available, three available at the time. So it just seems to me like, okay, this is really starting to get bigger and we've got more teams now, and this can be more competition for the Pacers candidate and who they want to go out and get. So That is all important, and then we also have to throw in the fact that there is a very hot seat in Milwaukee if the Bucs do not get out of the second round. They did win game six. They did survive, but Budenholzer is on the hot seat, so we're looking at possibly eight coaching spots available with Atlanta still having an interim spot, but I think Nate McMillan is more than likely going to get that coaching position if he's not uh, promoted. So real quick, just those eight teams, in case you are unaware, it's Orlando, Portland, Boston, Indiana, Washington, Dallas, and then who is the seventh flash that I keep voicing. Is it New Orleans? New Orleans, Orleans. yep, yep. yep. And and then, of course, Milwaukee is the eighth. So those are the openings. And then I don't know if you guys heard this or not, but I shared a little bit of a quote from the Hoop Collective podcast with Brian Winhorst. He had Tim McMahon on and Tim Bontemps on to talk about the Dallas Mavericks and what's going on. And this is what both uh, Winhorst and Tim McMahon had to say about Rick Carlisle.
2: He's got something lined up and, you know, look, there's two destinations that are heavily rumored. Um, The first you've just mentioned is is the Bucks. And if Bud goes, you know, Rick moved in there, obviously would allow him to immediately take over a, a championship contending team. The second one, and I've heard this from like four different places, nobody directly involved and, and, you know, nobody who is, uh, you know, not Rick or anybody, especially close to Rick, but there's a lot
0: of smoke about a potential Rick Carlisle reunion with the Pacers.
3: Right. So let me say a few things about Indiana. One, I know that Kevin Pritchard, their general manager came out um, at the end of the season and gave a press conference and made it sound like his future was in some sort of doubt there. That is no longer the case. He has been assured he will be there. Um, I don't think he was really ever in danger. Um, Herb Simon, who is the owner of the team, is extremely close to him. They have an extremely close relationship. Doesn't mean that they could make a change. But um, without going too far, uh, I will say that Kevin Pritchard has been assured he's going to be there. The second thing is that the Pacers um, have made it known to people who are interested in that job that they are not going to hire a – well, I mean, not be absolute here. They're not planning to hire a first-time head coach. The um, first-time yeah. head coach maneuver uh, did not go so well this last time around.
0: Hell, they
2: they might not even be hiring a first-time Pacers head coach.
3: Well, there you go. So, um, but, you know, I don't know how much longer Kevin Pritchard wants to be in that job. So, you know, maybe Carlisle could have some, you know, personnel more, say. more influence if he would to go that direction.
1: All right, Flatchy. So, after hearing that, uh, does that get you a little bit intrigued about Rick Carlisle and his interest in maybe coming to the Pacers?
2: I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. That's how fired up I got from this. We're talking about it. We all. It feels like we all want Rick Carlisle, or the, a large part of the fan base is very interested in a reunion. With Rick Carlisle. I find it just ten times better to know that it seems like Rick could be interested in that too. When they're talking about the Pacers and the Bucks being the two teams that are rumored in, hey, if Milwaukee can just get a win and move on to the conference finals, that might remove them from the running. So, ah, man, I want to recall our reunion bad. Well,
1: and here's what I want to say too, because like, look, we obviously know that Milwaukee is the team that could really change everything here because yes. we know Bootenholzer is a name that's attached to the Pacers from Jay Michael. We know that Giannis could, you know, be a very intriguing, is a very intriguing player for coaches who want to go coach. So I think everybody is just kind of waiting right now to see what happens with that Milwaukee coaching uh, vacancy. But one thing that really did interest me was what Brian Winhorst had to say about Kevin Pritchard, maybe not a wanting to be president of basketball operations for much longer. And I actually had someone reach out to me today and they said, man, like that's kind of crazy. Can you imagine him not wanting to do this? When I said, look, you got to realize Scott Agnes just shared a, a, a post a couple of weeks ago that Kevin Pritchard and his wife, they're having a baby. Yep, Kevin Pritchard is, I'm not sure. I want to say he's 50 or close to 50. If not, he's in his fifties. Having a baby at that age and, you know, being involved with the Pacers, you're not going to have much time to spend with your child. So to me, there could be that opportunity there for a guy like Rick Carlisle to say, hey, look, um, you know, I, if, if Kevin doesn't want to be here long-term, this could be an opportunity for me to kind of take that, that position. So that's where I would keep my eyes on that. Uh, we know Kevin Pritchard's a friend of the show. He's been on our podcast and, and just a really nice guy for doing that. But he might not want to be here long-term, Fotch.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely interesting. You know, I think that, Hey, I mean, who knows how things are going to over the next year or two. I mean, this, this head coach, you know, situation uh, is going to be very important, but I understand if Pritchard wants to, you know, dedicate his time to being a father, I get it. But Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, we, we cleared up a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago, that his job is definitely safe for at least this year. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I think that the Pacers got something here that, you know, they, they, they have the pieces together, and I think that they can get back to where they should have been. So, you know, for that, I'm excited. But, hey, a lot of things could change a year or two from now across the roster. Oh, I mean, most
1: definitely. And, I mean, it it just really intrigues me that Carlisle could have, you know, some eyes on the front office as well as being the head coach because he he told Woj that, hey, I I still want to continue my coaching career very, very much left it open. I mean, I think a lot of people, including myself thought Boston, Milwaukee make the most sense, but you know, I, I think Boston, from what I've seen on the report, especially Woj tweeted out, I think they're going to go with a, with a, with a blackhead coach. I really feel like that's the direction they want to head with this franchise. They've had a lot of uh, questionable stuff go on there the last couple of years with, with racism. And I think they really want to write that ship and Keith Smith, our, our friend over at Yahoo sports did a, uh, locker room app. I, I think it's changed now, like Spotify, Green Room, whatever it's called. But um, yeah, I, I pretty much asked him a question because he said that he would prioritize uh, Ime Udoku over uh, Mike Budenholzer. And I asked him why, and he just basically said that he thinks Boston needs a, a blackhead coach. And so, hey, if that's the route they're going, and you know Rick Carlisle, he might be number one on the totem pole right now in terms of what coach you want to coach your team. If Indiana could somehow get that and probably not being the most desirable uh, destination, I think that's a massive win for the Pacers.
2: Oh, it is a massive win. And for Boston, um, I reports feel like they're looking for more of a younger first time head coach. Uh, Chauncey Billups, Darvin Ham, Ime they're going on their second interviews. So, uh, you know, Hey, w- whatever that means, we'll, we'll see. Cause obviously we know how many interviews the Pacers conducted last year, but it feels like Chauncey Billups is a very serious candidate for the Boston Celtics.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it really could be any of those three that it wouldn't surprise me. i really yeah. just I feel like that's the direction you're going and right I should say that in in, in addition to being a blackhead coach a young blackhead coach because they got a lot of young players on this roster. Yep. Um they just made a move today trading Kimball Walker for um Al Horford. So that's uh, and Moses Brown, I believe. So that's a, that's a interesting trade. Weird to see it in the middle of the playoffs, but Hey, this uh, COVID season has really changed things and who, uh, who knows? And that's official. I don't even know how that works now, but uh, here we are. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what happens, but as we kind of look at these, you know, coaching candidates, what is, what is the main thing about Rick Carlisle that just has you so ecstatic about having him on the Pacers?
2: So I would say, look, Rick Carlisle's years in Indiana were off to an unbelievable start. I mean, 61-win season 2003-2004. If Jermaine wasn't a bit banged up in the playoffs, I, I think that the Pacers could have won it all. And then the following year, they have the brawl uh, They tear apart the team. So the next few years, that's not on Rick. We traded, you know, Stephen Jackson and Al Harrington. I mean, those, those guys go over they ignite – that we believe, you know, Golden State Warriors, while we get Mike Dunleavy and Troy Murphy and just, you know, it ends up falling apart. We're talking about a guy who is an NBA champion, the third longest tenured coach in the NBA, 15th all-time in wins. When when the Pacers are looking at a guy who's a bit more experienced, how about a guy that's coached well over a 1,000, you know, games in the NBA, a guy that he's got 63 playoff wins. He, he His championship against the Miami Heat, I think is one of the more valuable championships, uh, you know, going up against that big three, LeBron, Wade, Bosch. I mean, it was just master a masterpiece of coaching and just a great run by the Dallas Mavericks. And I just feel like he—he's the fact that he's been in Indiana, feels comfortable there, uh, has said great things about the organization. One thing that I read was that after he won a championship in Dallas, he had a ring sent over to the Simons just out of yeah. appreciation. I mean, that's, that's got to go a long way of saying like, hey, that's really where Rick learned a lot and took that over to Dallas. And I just feel like when we're talking about guys that I don't want to use the term retread, but guys that have been around for a while, it's like he's the only one that's won an NBA championship and that I think is respected at a really, really high level. And I got to bring up one more thing. I was going down the Rick Carlisle coaching tree, and this is a tree. Look at guys that were assisted coaches under rick carlisle mike brown terry stotts dwayne casey steven silas and then a few other guys that ended up becoming nba head coaches so this guy can build out a staff
1: yeah every time you say it dwayne and you say you said casey i love thinking about is you getting animated about dwayne bacon
2: oh yeah i <laughs> just i mean yeah i got, I got. Dwayne
1: bacon sorry. Yeah. Sorry. but yeah no i mean you bring up great points about carlisle and I will give a counterback, and I want to hear your uh, you know, rebuttal to this because me and you are both really high on Carlisle. There's no doubt about it, but the guy hasn't been out of the first round of the playoffs since he won that championship yep. back in 2011. The Pacers are trying to get out of the first round of the playoffs. What makes you think Carlisle with this roster can get out of the first round when he can't even get out of the first round with a guy like Luka Doncic on his team?
2: I think that the Mavs, unfortunately, I mean, they ran into the Clippers each of the last two years with, with Luka Doncic. I mean, that's a good Clippers team. It it really is. I mean, a team that I think a year or two ago, people, if if they had won NBA finals, it wouldn't have surprised anyone. They drew them in the first round. And I mean, Luka, he's still young. I mean, he, the fact that he was really able to will that team there, I think the rebuild has been real quick with Luka and post-finals they, they kind of, you know, the Dirk years towards the end. I mean, Dirk was still in the starting line. I've got a lot of respect for Dirk, but I just feel like they were trying to win when they should have rebuilt a, a lot earlier. And I think that that kind of set them back a few years. So, yeah, the man hasn't been out of the first round in, in quite some time, but he's made the playoffs. I believe it was nine of his 13 years in Dallas. Um, and then that NBA Finals, I mean, just it can't be forgotten. Plus, one more thing. Rick Carlisle coached the Dallas Mavericks to the highest offensive efficiency of all time last year. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I think makes
1: a lot of sense because he's an offensive mind. We know that from his days with Larry Bird uh, being that assistant offensive coordinator while Dick Carter was the defensive coordinator. There's a lot of great things to like about Rick, and this would be his third time back with the Indiana organization because he was hired by Detroit. Pacers went with Isaiah Thomas at that point, and then once that train wreck came to a complete halt, uh, they, they wrote that ship and, and got Carlisle back, and then the brawl happened. And it, it really felt like that was the year that the Pacers were going to win a title with Ron Artest, Jermaine O'Neal, uh, Stephen Jackson, Jamal Tinsley. That group of guys, they were really good, and they were just clicking on all cylinders to start that year off. Jeff Foster was that enforcer inside, and, and Carlisle just had a really nice balance of a team there. But unfortunately, the brawl changed everything, and there's been some – question, there's been some question marks on Rick Carlisle and his ability to basically rub people the wrong way sometimes, being a little bit too harsh. And, and there was some really good reporting recently with him and uh, Luka Doncic not getting in, uh, not getting along great. There was a report from uh, Tim McMahon and Brian Windhorst saying that Luka Doncic actually asked um, Rick Carlisle in the middle of the game, who was calling the shots around him? Was not him Or was it the front office, uh, Haralabob? So I just, I find all this so interesting because even at this point in his career, Rick Carlisle has been a longtime head coach and very well-respected. I believe he's in charge of the uh, coaches association, um, the leader of that. If he's not, he was. So I just, I know that Rick Carlisle is an incredibly well-respected coach and I think players will like to play for him. But at the same time, I'm just so in I'm just so fascinated by maybe his desire to get into the front office.
2: Yeah, I mean it's definitely something that that's interesting. Uh, I think that, you know, the Pacers don't want to throw too much at him to be like, hey, you know, I, I don't I'm not a big fan of what the Clippers did with Doc Rivers, where all of a sudden they let him run the front office too while coach. And I, I just feel like that scene could get a bit messy. But I, I want Rick Carlisle as a head coach. Not you know necessarily in the front office. Maybe that's a down the line. Maybe that's something they could promise him, like kind of similar to like uh, a Brad Stevens of Hey, if Kevin Pritchard's going to step down, you know, yeah, you'll, you'll be someone that we'll look at very very heavily. I think that that could be a compromise.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not even saying that they like maybe have a plan set up, but I do think that there's going to be a point when Rick's like, Hey, I'm tired of coaching. I've been coaching for a long time. The grind of coaching is completely different than the grind of being the president of basketball operations and making those business decisions, right? So I think that he could maybe want to live in Indiana, ease his way back into the front office role and not have to coach for so many years. But then that would give him plenty of time to kind of look at this core group of guys, figure out which direction he wants to go. Because look, I think the Pacers obviously without having the superstar in Luca, they're kind of built similar to Dallas with you know, no real big superstar guys. They, they're really trying to figure out a way to win in a very tough spot. Like, obviously, like, Luka Doncic is a massive game changer, and I'm not trying to say that. But even before that, when Dirk was on his latter years and, and they were still, you know, making the playoffs, but they were having a hard time succeeding, I think Rick is just a really good talent, you know, good at seeing talent, good at taking a young team and, and making it better. And you know he gave Luca the green light. I mean, everything Luca did, I don't understand why Luca wouldn't like him because he just kind of Luca have have his way. And I, I think that that's one thing Carlisle is really good at. He understands the strengths and weaknesses of his roster, and he is not going to be as risque as a Nate Bjorkman was in his you know philosophies or his schemes. But at the same time, I, I think that there's just fundamental principles that Rick Carlisle brings to the table in terms of how he orchestrates his offense and his defense and I think that like you mentioned the coaching tree from Rick Carlisle has had pretty good success in the NBA so it makes me feel good about him being able to get assistance to want to coach for him and if he's able to get an assistant that maybe could replace him if he does step away in a couple of years you have that you know, passing of the torch type of thing. You have that familiarity within the front office with the ownership and with the coaching staff. I just think with Rick Carlisle, you just can't go wrong.
2: You can't. He's respected. And that's something from what we're coming from. It means a lot. And Alex, it's going to sound weird. It's going to sound like they shouldn't even need to be brought up. He's a normal person. He's a human. Like it's just, it just sounded like we weren't dealing with that with Bjork. And it. it sounded like we were talking about the term Jekyll and Hyde effect. It's like, this is not good. So I feel like I've never heard that type of stuff about like Rick Carl. Just just feels like this is someone who is going to be able to, like you said, be able to build out a staff where Bjorken very much struggled with that. And it was evident. I mean, something that we didn't get to touch on, Bill Bano's back in coaching. I I know that he had a rough year. There was other stuff, but come on. I I think part of maybe how the Bjorken situation situation was going, he liked to step away and I don't think we're going to see that man working with Bjorken anytime soon. So great to see Bill Bano back.
1: Yeah, it is absolutely great to see Bill Bano back. I mean, I kind of forgot about it with how much news we've seen yep. this week. This has been the newsiest, the most wackiest week of NBA news I have ever seen uh, in a long time. Like we're talking like in the middle of the playoffs. No, like there's there's no reason this should be like this crazy, but it is. Injury news, COVID news, coaching news. Assistant coaching news, ownership news, uh, well, not ownership, but I guess front office news. It's just, my goodness, anything that you expect to happen has pretty much happened. So it's it's been a wild one, but I I, I want to go just talking about these assistants, or not these assistants, but these coaching candidates. If Rick Carlisle does take that buck stop if it becomes available, who is the next guy you want, Punch?
2: Uh, man, the next guy I'd want, if, if I'm putting together a list, I mean, I about a week ago, I was pretty pretty sold that Terry Stotts would be the guy, and I sold myself on it. It's like, okay, hey, you bring in Stotts, you bring in another guy who's been a, a head coach before as an assistant, like a Steve Clifford, I could sell myself on that. So uh, Terry Stotts is someone that is still on my list. Uh, about in the past week, I've soured big time on Budenholzer. He's still on a short list, but he's not in my top two right now. Okay. So who's your next? So Brian Shaw is someone that I know is being linked to the job. It's likely going to be interviewed. Uh, Someone that was a former Pacers assistant coach that at one point I wanted Brian Shaw to be the Pacers head coach. I know it didn't work out in Denver. I know he's going to be the head coach of the, the G League Ignite team. But that's someone who, as a former player in the league, that is very respected. I know that Shaw had Kobe's respect, and you got to do a lot. To have Kobe Bryant's respect, so Brian Shaw, someone that I'm interested in. My fourth option at this point is Mike Budenholzer, something that we were talking about offline. Once Budenholzer just won this last game against the Nets, he now moved to two and six in elimination games. Whoa, you're telling me this guy was one and six in elimination games, and he's never went on to win the series. So this is a guy that. He's had good talent, but unfortunately just hasn't been able to do much with it. I know that Hawks team overachieved as the one seed. They're still, you know, a good team, whatever. You have one of the best players on the planet in Giannis. And if you can't get to the conference finals, sorry, but he's, he's probably going to be out on the streets. And last option, someone that is not being looked at at all that I'm very interested in.
1: Mark Jackson.
2: No, no, no. Sam Cassell. Sam okay. Cassell. Okay. I mean, you're talking about a guy that was 15 years as a pro. A three-time NBA champion. This man's respected by all. Current assistant with the Sixers. He was an assistant with uh, the Clippers for about six years. He was assistant with the Wizards for about five, six years. He's been around. This man will be a head coach at some point in the NBA. It might not be this year.
1: Yeah, I uh, I like Sam Cassell. I mean, he's, uh, he's a bit of a dark horse for me, Foch. I just I don't see it. I think he I'll might fit either. somewhere else, but I just just based off what we've heard in terms of wanting an experienced head coach. So I will put my top five out here. My top one, obviously, Rick Carlisle. I just it's yep. it's hard to look past that. Number two, this is where I'm kind of I'm kind of torn Foch. I have a two A, two B. And number two A is Mike D'Antoni, and two B is Terry Stotts. Look, say what you want about Rick Carlisle. If you love what he did, you know, Terry Stotts was like we said, a part of that coaching tree. And I thought he had a pretty successful run with Portland. And you can actually say that maybe he got a little bit further with his rosters because they did make the Western conference finals in Portland. than Carlisle did with his group in Dallas. So
2: outside of the championship.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm saying after he left, right. So he left in 2012. So since Stotts became head coach of Portland, he's had a better playoff resume than Rick Carlisle. So that to me, I think that there's a lot there to be desired. So if it's not Rick, if he goes to Milwaukee, I think Terry Stotts to me is right there for number two. And then number three, you said it, Brian Shaw. This is a guy that I absolutely wanted the Pacers to move on from Vogel from. I just felt like if you heard Paul George, if you heard Lance, if you heard George Hill, they constantly said, be Shaw, be Shaw, be Shaw. They always talked about him. And I guess that I can kind of co uh, coexist with how important getting a head assistant coach is or getting a good coaching staff is because those guys respected him so much, even though he wasn't the head coach. And I think that does really, really matter. So obviously he has no connection with the, the players here now, but he does have a connection with Kevin Pritchard and Herb Simon for being there. So I think he's an interesting name. And then Mike Budenholzer is my last one. It's like, look, I know they have interest in him. I know Mike Budenholzer is a good coach. I know Budenholzer will probably get us out of the first round of the playoffs. If he, you know, is able to coach us to a four or five seat. I think that we could win that series possibly, but at the same time, I just see some of the stuff he's doing in the playoffs and I'm like, I I, I, like, I, I don't want to sit here and watch this. I mean, I see I how know. depressed Bucks fans are, but it's just so, so much of that offense and some of the stuff he does, like there's really some nice innovative things and then sometimes you just are scratching your head Wondering what in God's name is he doing out there? Like, why is that the best thing you can come up with? Like, how do you let this lead blow? Like, I just, I get that Kevin Durant's going off. How do you not double team him? How do you not change what you're doing? And how do you not go at different guys on on uh, the offensive And when you're playing offense, how do you not go at different guys that are playing defense on you? Besides, they're better defenders. It just made zero sense. I thought what he did in Game Six was fantastic how they approached that. So hopefully, you know, Budenholzer gets better, but. That that's me. I have him on my list of five, but he's my last one.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't blame you one bit. I I have all of a sudden overnight become a Bucks fan for the, the short series because I want him to win. Yeah. I, I don't I don't even want him to be in the running at this point because it just feels like a guy that you're getting a guy that that is known that he underperformed and it's mm-hmm. just like when you're talking about like a Rick Collar, or Terry Stotts, it's like look th- those are those are good coaches that it's like yeah all right sure they didn't have like like. Giannis right now in his absolute prime right there. You gotta go on a run. Luca, superstar, but he's very young. I mean, it's like like Giannis right over there, the Bucks. Will you bring in Drew Holiday? You got Chris Milton. This team needs to be able to get out of the second round. You know, I understand you mm-hmm. drew the nets this year, but it's like, I mean, we, we saw them. They 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 collapsed last year uh after once once COVID hit. The Bucks team that returned to the bubble, there was it was a different team. So whatever it was, he was not able to get them to snap back into things. So uh, th- those were our top five coaches that we're interested in to see. You know, for the most part, I know I threw Sam Cassell in there. That's not been a, an experienced head coach. I know that's what they're looking for. So that's why I know you didn't have like Chauncey Billups in there and Darvin Ham. Those guys that are that are being you know heavily looked at. I just felt like you know we knew it had to be more of an experienced coach. So. Alex, when do you really think the Pacers are going to kind of make their final move on a head coach? Obviously, if Budenholz are still going right now, you don't know when that's going to play itself out. But I'm thinking this could be a couple weeks. Yeah, we, we really don't have an idea. It's, it's just
1: really hard to tell. I know it looked like Kevin Pritchard was on vacation this week. And I had people like sharing this with me saying, well, why is he on vacation? What's going on? <laughs> Looks like he's in Hawaii. I said, I just played along. I said, yeah, he is in Hawaii. I said, he's, he's talking to a coach out there about coming to the Pacers. They're like, are you serious? I'm like, no, I'm just messing with you. Come on. Like, just, just relax. Like, these guys have plenty of time to do their due diligence. They clearly have an idea of what they want. If the, if the rumors are that hot about Carlisle coming here, if Milwaukee's job is not open, like, if Milwaukee wins this series, you have to wonder, hey – does Carlisle pivot to the Pacers, which could very much well happen, and I think, I think once you see one coach hire happen, it'll probably just kind of be like dominoes and just have a downfall. But we'll see what happens. I think there's a lot of guys out there that are assistants on current teams in the playoffs. That you know, like a Mike D'Antoni is a guy that's you know with the Nets. You got Ime Doku who's with the Nets. You got Chauncey Billups with the Clippers.
3: Darvin Ham at the Bucks.
1: Yeah, just a lot of different assistants. Same Kessel with Philadelphia. A lot of good assistants out there. That are highly, you know, um, regarded that teams want to interview and have on their roster. It's just really hard to make that official during the playoffs. So maybe give it, you know, two or three more weeks. Once we get to the finals, you could probably see more names, you know, off the table, and and we'll figure out where the team goes and what happens. But I, I'm really excited about this flash. I think that there's a lot of good names out there for the Pacers in their head coaching vacancy.
2: There really is. But I got one little point I want to bring up for you. Bring We've it. Harry Stotts linked to Indiana, you know, pretty heavily over the last couple weeks. I think it's died down a little bit. Have you heard him linked to anywhere else? Because I don't think I have.
1: No. So what are you asking? Are you thinking he might return with Carlisle to the bench?
2: Oh, I mean, now, whoa. I'm about to, you know, come out of my own shoes right now. (laughs) That would be the best case scenario if we could pair the two of them. But, hey, that could just be a dream. But at the same point, I just think it's interesting because – it, you you want to get a guy that's coveted, and I'm just wondering why Terry Stotts hasn't been linked anywhere else yet.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like some of these guys that have been rumored are going for younger and newer, yeah. not mm-hmm. not the retread type of thing. So, you know, Dallas, I guess Dallas did have the uh, Terry Stotts' name on that list, along with Jason Kidd. If you saw Tim McMahon's report today, Terry Stotts was mentioned in that, so... There is a Dallas connection there. Former Dallas assistant coach makes a lot of sense. Um, if they don't, if they don't get a young guy, I think Jamal Mosley is the guy that is their assistant now. That everybody keeps saying Luca wants because of their relationship. So I think if they don't go internal with him, it could be Stotts. But yeah, I'm just thinking like you know, you look at a guy like Jason Kidd. Like I completely understand why a lot of fans are anti Jason Kidd for his uh, legal you know uh, incidences over his career and his time, but I'm saying like the Lakers went out and got a really experienced, you know, head assistant coach for Vogel, someone that's well-respected as a player and is a former head coach. I think that because of Stott's connection with Carlisle, if he does not get a head coaching position, that he could be easily back on that assistant coaching staff if he wants to go that route. And I think that that would just keep him fresh. And if there was another opening that happened, then teams might come calling for him. But I think that also makes some sense with my alignment uh, if Carlisle wants to take over, you know, for Kevin Pritchard in a couple of years, you just promote Terry and It's just an easy transition.
2: I think that that would be perfect. I mean, we, we saw a similar situation when Nate McMillan was on the staff as assistant coach and, you know, then promoted. And it just feels like uh, that would be a very smooth transition.
1: I want to put a, a cap on this conversation here talking about the head coaching search and all that. We got plenty of time before it's going to happen, but I just thought the Rick Carlisle stuff was so interesting that we had to talk about it. But Richie Randall from Busby Radio did come on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we pre-recorded this. We had a conversation with him about um, a Charlotte Hornets mock trade scenarios, So we're going to play that for you right now as Fachi plays Chad Buchanan and
0: Rich plays Mitch Kupchak. Just go to Indeed.com slash Bluewire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com/slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Cannon. sorry I missed you, I guess you're playing a little phone tag, but I uh, heard through the grapevine that you had some interest in a, a few of our players, and uh, kind of wanted to hear if there was a little bit of a deal that we can work out. Um,
3: give me a call back right when you get this. Look forward to chatting with you. <coughs> hey Mitch, it's Chappie Cannon, what's going on? Not much. Thanks
4: for returning my call. I was reaching out to maybe discuss some trade movement. I wanted to put out some feelers out there. Uh, Not looking to be too aggressive here, but just wanted to get some ideas on if we can work with some of your players and my players and and make a trade here. Um, There's definitely some players that we value on your roster.
2: Oh For sure. And, you know, hey, I still want to tip my hat to you guys in that playing game that was – that was quite the battle, you know, I think you guys are going in a great direction, but uh, I would like to hear a little bit more about who you had interest in.
4: Well, we appreciate that. Uh, obviously, our, our team didn't show up the way that we wanted to, and that was by any gone. <laughs> so yeah as i wanted to st- state this real you know off the front here it's just we don't want to be too aggressive and I'll, i'm not married to any of these deals we'll, we'll just start off with some talking points here and, and go from there uh, our cap sheet in 2021 allows us to be a little bit more flexible in free agency so we may be a little bit conservative and, and selective with our trade offers here so uh, if you don't think it's enough value uh, we can go from there but the obvious place to start uh, and really the one player that we covet on your roster is with miles turner so we, we feel like he can bolster our defense at the center position and i know there's always been a dilemma on your end whether or not he can coexist uh with your roster but here here's my starting point for this trade uh we will offer you terry Rozier. uh he's on a one-year contract he's an expiring 18 million dollars uh, that'll kind of work with the, the salaries he's A really good movement shooter. Obviously, you guys are in the position right now where you could lose, uh, you know, Doug McDermott. So if you need someone to replace his three-point shooting, Terry Rozier brings that. We do value him a lot internally here in Charlotte. So it's tough to see him go if we do uh, get this trade done. Uh, We'll give you Rozier and Caleb Martin. Uh, Caleb Martin is a third-year player, scrappy player defensively. Obviously, you guys have had some issues on the defensive side of the court. Uh, you know, It could be system, but I think that you guys also need players, so Rozier and Caleb Martin headed your direction, and Caleb Martin actually has a non-guaranteed contract, so uh, if you feel like he's not part of your plans moving forward, uh, in August you guys can just not guarantee his contract, and, and that would work out that way. Coming back our way, we would want Miles Turner and Edmund Sumner. You
2: know, over in Indiana, we do preach family, and we already do have a, you know, a group of brothers, in the Holiday Brothers, and I would feel bad breaking up the Caleb and Cody tandem over there, Um, but I was thinking a bit of a a bigger deal. We do very much covet Miles Turner, longest-tenured pacer, and Edmund Sumner has someone who we've... uh, we very much enjoyed seeing his growth. And I was thinking about making the deal a bit bigger. Now, Terry Rogier, love what he put together. However, we do feel comfortable right now with Malcolm
4: Brogdon and Karis LeVert, uh, you know, handling the ball for us and, and you know, at the, at the guard positions. Uh, I was thinking if we were to include Miles Turner, uh, we want to center a deal that, that would really bring Gordon home. Um, would you be open to trading Gordon Hayward? That That is one player that... I- feel like we can't trade. Uh, we don't want to trade. Uh, he has a 15% trade kicker, and if we do trade him, uh, we're going to owe about $14 million to him over the course of his remaining salary. Uh, it's not a no trade clause by any means, but when, when he signed that deal with us, that was kind of an incentive uh, to not trade Gordon Hayward. Uh, but it's, it's kind of acting like a no-trade clause here, and he's one player. I know that you guys tried to sign him last offseason, but he's close to an untouchable here on, on this roster, mainly because of the value that he brings, but also because of that trade kicker that he has in his
2: contract.
3: Okay. Uh,
2: I do know that the, the term near-untouchable, because every man does have his price. So uh, let's see. If we were to try and you know, at least put an offer in front of you, um, is there anything appealing in sorts of the Miles Turner sending Jeremy back to Charlotte? Someone you're very comfortable with, uh, perhaps Aaron Holiday as insurance if you are to lose, you know Malik Monk and Devontae Graham, and including a protected first-round pick for Gordon Hayward. Now it is it is a, a pretty uh, pretty solid offer, I would say. I have talked it over with uh, Kevin and uh, want to see your thoughts maybe on a deal centered around Gordon Hayward. Turn can you repeat that offer that's coming our way again? Sure. So this would be Miles Turner, Jeremy Lamb's expiring contract, Aaron Holiday as guard insurance, still on a very cheap deal, and a protected first round pick. Now that could be, you know, that could be a light protection, it could be next year's pick, it could be down the line, but this is something, a deal that's remaining your cap flexibility while also, you know, still giving you players that can contribute now.
4: Yeah. So... After after talking it over with uh, Michael Jordan, he he really is stressing to me that it, it's going to be tough to trade Gordon Hayward, uh, especially considering that we did recently stretch Nicholas Batum, so we've got his nine million you know dollar contract uh, on our books for the next couple of seasons. So it just feels tough to also make this trade with Hayward. We do like that that value that you're giving us, but with that trade kicker, it it almost makes it almost a a non-starter for us. So if you want to get more aggressive, I, I do have an aggressive uh, deal that, that could maybe bring you back. A, a player of value, obviously not Gordon Hayward per se, but if if you want to hear it, I, I do have another offer for you. I do. I am going to uh, page in Kevin Pritchard and I do think that Kevin uh,
2: should be involved in this. And I don't want to make this personal for MJ. I do know how that typically goes, but I am going to bring in uh, Kevin. Kevin, uh, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm here.
1: I'm, just, I'm, I'm listening to our, our offers here and I do have another counter for Hayward, but I'll, I'll let it rest for a minute. I want to hear, uh, I wanna hear uh, Mitch's offer here that he has uh, on the table. Yeah, so it's going to be centered around the same players,
4: again, uh, Terry Rozier uh, going your way. Uh, but we're going to include P.J. Washington. Uh, P.J. Washington uh, is a young player for us, and we really do value him a lot. Uh, and you would have team control with this guy for the next couple of years. He played in a, a good bit of center for us this year. Uh, But we feel that uh, him and Miles Bridges are are a little bit redundant. And we just kind of wanted to clear that that, that four space for for Miles. So Terry Rozier and P.J. Washington going your way. Now, Miles Turner um, obviously would still be included in this deal coming our way. Uh, And uh, to to make it more aggressive, we would want Karis Levert as well. You know, we love his ability to create for himself. I I know this is kind of like a a sensitive subject, but we are still concerned about some of the medicals. Uh, and know that's a risk that we're kind of willing to take. And if we want to add draft picks, we, we can throw a, a second-round pick your way. So, let me let me restate that again. It's Terry Rozier, P.J. Washington, a, a second-round pick, and then for Miles Turner and Karis LeBert. Kevin,
2: I, I don't think there's much to discuss here. Yeah. I'm going to go with a hard no, but I would like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I think we're getting a little bit uh, off track here, Mitch. And
1: I, I think... You know, I, I don't want to go down the Hayward or Brown. I know you guys do covet Miles Turner. So, you know, if you do want Turner, we would want either one of P.J. Washington or Miles Bridges. Would you guys be willing to do one of those trades straight up um, and, and maybe use some of that cap space that you have to absorb Turner's contract? Yeah, I mean, that, that is one thing that we do have is, is that cap space to
4: absorb uh, this contract. But we really want to be very conservative this year in terms of just allowing for that flexibility. We just got off some big contracts in uh, Cody Zeller, Marvin Williams last year, uh, Nick Batum, we're still dealing with his contract over the next couple of years because we had to stretch him to sign Hayward. So uh, we're trying to be as flexible as possible uh, in terms of our cap space. And when it comes to trading players, uh, we we don't feel that it's, it's, it's necessary or in our best interest to trade someone on a rookie contract uh, straight up For Miles Turner, I know that it could work with our cap sheet, but uh, that's 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 a non-starter for us. So that's why we're trying to throw in Terrence Rozier and and, um, you know, and to get back Karis Levert, we would still be taking on more salary in that deal that I I, I gave you guys. But uh, obviously, you guys don't seem to have much interest in that one. Yeah, I
1: just I just feel like we cannot move on from Karis. He means too much to our our franchise right now. I get it. I get it. Depot for him. Now, I'm surprised right. you didn't bring up T.J. Warren because he has an expiring contract, but he is off the table as well in this deal. Now, as we get closer to free agency, it's going to be probably pretty hard for us to retain Doug McDermott. Right. But I do think McDermott is someone that could make a lot of sense on your team. He's a great locker room guy, terrific you know guy to move off the ball, and I think he could play really well with LaMelo Ball and yeah with Gordon Hayward. So what if we, you know, went down that Terry Rozier and, and PJ Washington route again, but instead of giving you Karis Levert, we do a sign and trade with McDermott and maybe look at protecting a future pick in that deal. So So no miles Turner. Well, Turner would be in that deal with McDermott. Okay. And then a, a protected future pick for PJ Washington and Terry Rozier as, as long as Chad is okay with that. I think I could be all right with that deal, depending on what the protections on the pick are.
4: Yeah, that that's a very intriguing deal because we do um, value McDermott a lot on, on your roster, and I know that he was a uh, a big impact player for you guys. And um, I, I say I say we go ahead and, and finalize that deal. Can you can you just read it to me one more time, just to make sure that we are uh, uh,
1: getting the, the correct details here? Yeah. So it would be McDermott and a sign and trade. I, Depending on how much you're willing to sign them for, I think that'd be the biggest question mark there. Um, it could be anywhere from you know, because a signature yeah. has to be three years, so that could be you know close to twelve million per year. So you're looking into three for thirty-six with with Doug McDermott and Turner. So that's getting you around thirty million dollars, and then we'll take on Washington and Terry Rogier and we'll give you a protected first round pick, we cannot trade this year's 2021 pick, but we can do maybe 22 or 24 or or 23 even. And I'm not sure, Chad, what kind of protections do you want to put on that pick? I I would like to protect that. uh, Lottery protected? I was going to say, you know, at the minimum, top 10 protected. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe, maybe lottery protected for 2022, top 10 for 2023. And then maybe like uh, five after that, and then it becomes unprotected in like 2026, 2027. All right. Well, sounds good. Let's go ahead and lock that deal in. All right. Okay. So the phone call is officially over. That was actually some good back and forth there. I was intrigued by all the different trades out there. And it it seems to me that you guys at BuzzBeat are a little bit lower on Turner in terms of value than maybe what Zach Lowe kind of threw out there for his ideas for getting Turner away from Indiana.
4: Yeah, for the most part. I mean, we really do like his versatility on the defensive side of the court, and that's one thing that the Hornets have been lacking. Um, You know, the past couple of seasons has been a true rim protector for years now, and I think Turner would obviously fit that bill in what they're trying to do. The Hornets this season, obviously Indiana had some defensive issues as well, but but the Hornets uh, this season – you know, they, they played some junk defenses in some zone. I think they were probably the highest in the NBA in terms of the percentage of zone possessions. Uh, there's just not a lot of good perimeter defenders. And a lot of times opponents were getting to the rim and, and there was just no kind of resistance there. And I think we do value that part about Miles Turner. But in terms of his like offensive ability, that's where the value kind of drops a little bit because he's, you know, he's probably billed as a as a stretch big, but he really hasn't fully developed into that kind of stretchy big. I mean, obviously he has some volume out there. Um and, and, you know, I mean we would be okay with with you know, obviously making a trade for Turner. Uh, but yeah, we do not value him over at Buzzbeat, probably as high as maybe maybe the national people do.
2: Yeah, I mean with Turner, I think that he's always kind of been, you know pushed to like the fourth or fifth option on the Pacers. So offensively, he doesn't get to shine as much as he probably could elsewhere. But when you're coming from, you know, Biombo and Cody Zeller, you're kind of getting two guys that are not going to give you much, you know, from a three-point shooting standpoint. So, you know, obviously the rim protection we talked about Miles Turner. So I, I think Turner would be a great fit in Charlotte. But curious to, you know, I heard your thoughts. That. Does the fan base kind of feel the same? Like, is are they not as high on Turner? Because we hear these reports all the time, and, you know, it, it just feels like you never know if, if these fan bases are as high as the media is when they try and, you know, get a player out of a destination.
1: Yeah,
4: I think for the most part, uh, the Hornets fan base is pretty cautious about Miles Turner. I think they're intrigued with the idea, like I mentioned, of just having someone Defensively uh, on the back end at the center position uh, to be that guy, you know. Maybe if he was in a role with the Hornets where he was a little bit more prominent offensively, maybe he could develop into a player that did have a little bit more stretchability. Um, but you know, I, I think with the Hornets too, with their with their cap flexibility this off season, uh, they might be looking to sign someone like a Rashawn Holmes or uh, you know, may, may, obviously the, the center rotation and free agent class isn't the greatest. And and obviously centers are, are a position in which um you know that they're not highly coveted uh, like they have been in the past. So yeah, overall I feel like in Hornets Twitter, Hornets fan base, um, you know, they're kind of 50-50 on Turner. And I think that overall uh we, we love the ability on the defensive side, the offensive side just kind of gives us a little bit of pause.
1: Well, let me ask you this because I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of offensive firepower there on, on that side of, of the ball with with Charlotte. And defensively, having Turner there, he could really anchor that defense. And he wouldn't necessarily have to be that big of an offensive presence. I still think, you know, his game is a little bit underappreciated, I think, by most common fans. He does a really great job of switching on to, you know, smaller guys. He's able to protect the rim well. Obviously, rebounding is something he does struggle with. And his three-point shot, like you said, has not been consistent. But at the same time, it's hard to get a guy – Involved and get him in rhythm when he's not getting a lot of touches either. So it's very difficult to kind of look here and figure out the perfect deal, but I do think that you know Turner does make a lot of sense with with Charlotte, but with Charlotte having the having the eleventh overall pick, how much do you think that factors into them going out and trading for a center if they can get a center in the draft?
4: Yeah, I'm not a big draft guy, so I don't know the prospects that are going to be in that range I do my research, so. Uh, In terms of centers, I I really haven't heard too many centers in that range. So I don't think it'll affect them too much in terms of how aggressive they'll be in the trade market or, or free agent market. Uh, I I think for whatever reason, I feel like they're going to be drafting a wing (laughs) just because I've seen a lot of players in that range that are wings. So I I don't know if that really makes too big of a difference. I, I think the hardest part with Charlotte and their roster, when it comes to trading players even if they do covet someone like a miles Turner is just the salaries. Like if you were to look up and down the salary sheet for the Hornets, you have a handful of guys that are on either like rookie deals or just like 1 million, 2 million, $3 million contracts, where really that's, you know, the value of those players are more like sweeteners in a deal. And then you have a player like miles bridges and PJ Washington who, yes, they're on their rookie deals, but those are the young core pieces where it feels like it's going to be hard to trade them uh, even though they have a reasonable salary. And obviously LaMelo ball is untouchable. And then, like I mentioned before, when we were going over that, that fake trade, like Gordon Hayward has that, that trade kicker. So really the only trade piece that it seems of value on this team is Terry Rozier at that expiring $18 million contract. So the, the idea of trading for Miles Turner seems intriguing, and I think, you know, regardless free agency or draft, if they have the ability to draft a center or uh, sign a, a center, that's all good and well. Um, but I think the trade market is, is just going to be very difficult for them, just because of the the salaries.
2: No, it's completely right because I kind of felt like you guys might have made a mistake not trading, you know, Devonte Graham or like a Malik Monk, but with them making such little money, it's tough. Because now, you know, most of those guys are heading towards free agency where you got to give them new deals and they're just making too little to be able to trade and bring back a big enough return. Kind of what, what do you think you guys do there with the guard position? Obviously, you have LaMelo Ball, but when you're talking about Malik Monk and you're talking about Devontae Graham and you have Terry Rozier already there, it feels like a logjam.
4: It does. It does. Uh, obviously, like you mentioned, Monk and Graham are free agents this upcoming offseason. And that's a debate that a lot of Hornets fans and, and we've had on Buzzbeat before, like which player, if you could bring back one, which one would you bring back? And I think they both offer something. I mean, I think they're they're different players, but you know, I don't think they could afford to bring back both. But to your point, even if they did bring back both, it would create more of a log jam there. Obviously LaMelo Ball is going to be that that primary ball handler for for years to come in Charlotte, hopefully. Uh, Terry Rozier thrives more in that off-ball position, but you still need a backup guard that can be a little bit versatile, can play on-ball, off-ball, and I think Devontae Graham does that. I think Malik Monk does that too. Uh, The one difficulty with uh, Malik Monk is that he has a uh, $16 million cap hold uh, in this offseason, so uh, unless they do a deal with him fairly quickly – He's going to be holding up $16 million on the cap sheet there, where Graham's cap hold is only 4.7, where they can keep that on without renouncing him. So I, if I had to make a bet, I think they're going to probably go Devontae Graham uh, in terms of if they were to keep one of them, it would be it would be Graham, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting offseason for both teams. And I'm not sure how true this was, but I had someone reach out to me that said they had a, a source with Cody Zeller's family, basically just kind of coming out and saying that, there was a trade in place for the Pacers and, and Hornets by the deadline this year, revolving Washington and Zeller to the Pacers for, for Miles Turner. And then wow I, they said, Indiana pulled the deal on it, but they had been made aware they were going to be traded here. So I thought that was interesting. Like I said, I would take it with a grain of salt because I wouldn't call my source reliable, <laughs> but you just, you never know. I thought that was interesting. I mean, I guess it makes a little bit more sense with, Cody Zeller is expiring being in that deal because of the money and and freeing that up. But I like Cody Zeller. I think he's a good team player. I think he makes some sense to bring back if you can get him on a cheaper contract in Charlotte. I mean, longest tenured Hornet as well. So there's obviously a lot there, but I was curious. I mean, I'm not sure how trade kickers work and this is going to be my counter. If Hayward knew he was coming home to Indiana, do you think there's a possibility? I'm not saying the Hornets would trade him, but I'm saying, is there a possibility where Hayward could waive that trade kicker?
4: That's yeah. That's that's the one thing that I don't know. And okay. if that if that is if that is a possibility, I, I think that would obviously benefit the Hornets um, in terms of like the logistics of making that trade. So yes, yeah, I don't I don't know the the fine details of that. I just know that if the Hornets were to trade him with that trade kicker, uh, they would owe him fourteen million dollars, and that that's going to be split across his remaining three seasons uh, on their caps. So Ugh, it, and they already uh, have
1: the Batum stretch. Yeah.
4: So for the next couple of years, yep. <laughs>
1: it's going to be like $12 million or something like that for the next couple of years. Oh, good grief. Yeah, yeah. yeah. More than that, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But seems like a lot. Focci, any final questions for our guy, Richie, here?
2: No, I would just say, hey, Richie, great negotiation going back and forth. I'm glad we were able to work out a deal in the end. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's also nice to know that uh, how the, the Hornets fan base views Miles Turner because, you know, everybody always feels that their players would, you know, be more valued elsewhere. But and for Turner, you know, he, he fits a lot of needs. So are you more on the on the boat of Turner would definitely fit more of what the Hornets are looking for than, say, for instance, Sabonis?
4: Well, in terms of talent, I, I think that uh, Sabonis is, is definitely the, – the talent is there. But in terms of fit – uh, yeah, I I could see that. I, I'm probably higher on Turner than Spencer is. Uh, Spencer has been on your podcast before. He does think, not uh,
1: like. He does not like Turner.
4: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't dislike him. I don't dislike him per se. But uh, yeah, I I I've always been intrigued by him. But the funny thing is, it feels like the Hornets have always been linked with Turner for they the have, longest time. It's it's the craziest thing, and I feel like the one year in which it kind of ramped up is this year, and it also coincides with with him having more value this year because he's kind of broken onto the scene a little bit more, I feel like, defensively, and it's just like, well, if we would have traded for him a couple years ago where his value wasn't perceived to be as high, uh, maybe you could have got something there.
1: Yeah, and I agree with that. It's funny because it's like the Pelicans and the Hornets are always connected to Miles Turner, especially come draft time. It's just like, okay, what's going to happen? And then nothing ever does. Um, We've been linking him to Sacramento a little bit as well as a team that could be interested in him, just kind of looking at teams that could be in need of a center right? as, as we move forward. But anyway, where can people find you at on social media and uh, tell us a little bit more about your podcast.
4: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Richie Randall. Uh, we release a weekly podcast typically every Wednesday, uh, Buzz beat. Obviously you can find us Spotify, Apple podcast, all that type of stuff. Uh, obviously we're in the middle of our off season mode right now. And as you guys are as well. And, we're going to start ramping up some draft prospect coverage. And uh, it's not my favorite thing to talk about, but uh, I know that my co host loves to talk about it. So uh, even if you're not a Hornets fan, obviously you're going to get some prospect talk as well.
1: Awesome, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, if there is a deal that makes uh, or that happens, I should say, we should have you back on and we can uh, go through and look at uh, pros and cons of the trade that does happen if it does.
4: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me.
1: All right, Fox. So we've had a loaded show today. We talked about the head coaching search, Rick Carlisle, and then we just had a mock trade scenario conversation with Rich, Richie Randall from the BuzzBeat pod. So overall, what are your thoughts on uh, the deal that we made? They're getting uh, both Terry Rozier and P.J. Washington for a sign and trade of Doug McDermott and Miles Turner.
2: Hey, I mean, Rozier coming off a career year, only one year left over there. P.J. Washington, that that's the real piece right over there. I really love his game. I, I do think that he's going to take a big step forward next year, so why not do it with Indiana? Yeah, it
1: would be interesting. I don't know if Terry Rozier is the way to go. I know that's what nah, every Hornets fan wants, <laughs> yeah. but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think the Pacers and P.J. Washington, there's a lot of mutual interest there. If you go back and listen to our conversation with J. Michael, the Pacers really like him and the Hornets really like Turner, so What's keeping that deal uh, held up? We don't know, but we'll see what happens. I, I just think Washington makes too much sense. But anyway, Fudge, um, where can the people find us? at on social
2: media, so you could find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace Three. You could find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I could be found on Twitter at underscore facci, and you could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk.
1: And if you're excited to hear our conversation with Al Jefferson for this Monday's podcast, say these three words. Let's
3: go Pacers!